the Sadler's, uh, Sadler family and Terry read our passage for this morning. We're in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. If you want to turn there, we're going to read that again here in just a moment. We do preach through Advent every year, typically four Sundays, sometimes five. We will preach an Advent series, a Christmas series, looking forward to recounting the coming of Jesus and then looking forward to his second coming. And we believe that's good for us as the people of God to hear again the story, to focus on it because of the certainty and the steadfast hope that it brings us to remember the accounts, to remember what has happened. And so we want to be in the habit as a church of revisiting that. And this is a season where we do that in the Christian calendar. And so we want to be in the habit of remembering these stories. And we'll look at the importance of why it's good to remember these things uh, as we dive into this sermon. But this season of Christmas is, can produce a mixture of emotions. I mean, some of you love this season, and it's obvious because you started shopping and some of you started decorating in July. And some of you are overzealous parents who decorate way too much and overspend, and you just love this season. And you may be, you may be one of those people we would call the people who are looking forward to Christmas. You, you can't wait. I mean, the kid's in here, right? They're, they're, the countdown is on is at our house. We always know how many days, because my kids keep me very aware, of how many days till Christmas. There's a lot of hope that's built into the day. You're looking forward. You're trying to get to Christmas. And then some of us, maybe not so much, you're just trying to endure this season because of maybe the loss that you're reminded of when this season comes around. The losses that you've experienced, maybe in recent years or years past, and it just brings that pain back. Or maybe just the stress of having to meet all the expectations of decorating enough, getting the right gift, uh, pleasing this person. Did we spend too much? Did we not spend enough? Did we get the right gift? Did we not get the right gift? Who did we forget? And just the stress and anxiety and uncertainty that that brings us during this season. Carl Lafferton wrote a book called Rescuing Christmas. And um, he says that there's, there's, you either fall into two groups when it comes to Christmas. You're either a get-to-er or a get-through-er. And either way is dangerous. As we look to get to Christmas, we're placing our hope in a day and a holiday so that something magical will happen and we'll get the gifts and the, it, it's just going to happen. You know, this wonderful day where we'll be joyous and be Content and satisfied when that day comes. And then some of us are just trying to get through it. Looking forward to Christmas, counting down the days. And for those of us that are looking forward, kids, overzealous dads, uh, when we're looking forward to get to that day, what happens at 2 o'clock on Christmas Day? I call it the wrapping paper hangover. It's all happened Everything's been opened, we're full, and then what? January's coming, right? 
and we got to press on. So we don't want to do too much of the getting to, but we don't want to just be people who survive the season. We are called as believers to have a certainty, a security, a peace, and a joy, and a hope during this season. Whether you are a get-to-er or a get-through-er, both can have joy. Both can have peace. Both can be certain in your faith and in your hope. And there can be a security and a firm belief. And we're going to look at how that happens this morning. We are called during this season of Advent to be a people who are renewed in our joy, renewed in our faith, to celebrate a story. A story. Words. We're a people who rally around and are shored up in our faith based on accounts. We have a word, we have narratives, we have prophecy, we have words that we believe in. Stories, ancient, true stories. And we revisit them again this year. We are God's people who at this point in His fulfillment of the kingdom, Jesus having come and died and resurrected and gone back to be with the Father, we are His people at this point in the fulfillment of his kingdom who are trusting and believing his words, his promises. True stories, ancient stories. My son is very burdened for his friends who say they don't believe in God or don't go to church or both or either. (laughs) And he's burdened by it. And he told me the other day, again, he says something about it very frequently. He said, Dad, my... I've got friends who say they don't believe in God because they can't see him. And man, I, I thought, okay, pastor, here we go. What, how do you respond to that? And I hate to say it that the, my first thought was, well, they got a good point. I can understand how a 10-year-old would say, I can't believe in something I can't see. Right? And if you're sitting there and you're have your doctorate in apologetics and you say, well, you can't see the wind, but you can believe in it. That doesn't work with the 10-year-old at this point, right? And so there was this deflation, maybe even a little bit of a humiliation, a discouragement, when my son and his faith bumped into, I don't believe it because I don't see it. And we all bump into that too certain aspects. So what I want us to do is to read this again, what the Saddler's already read. Let's read this account, this promise, and then we're going to look at what Luke, the writer, says why he is putting this down and why we should be believing this and how it shores up our faith. Okay, so let's read this account once again. Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. 
And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So we have this account. We have this story. But in order to get some context of this passage and this story of a child that's being promised... I want you to go back to Luke chapter 1, the first four verses of the chapter. And I want you to understand and get the heart of why we as pastors want to revisit these accounts. Why your pastors want to go through Advent again with you and restore your hope, your joy and your peace and your security in Him and your faith. And for you to be able to walk in certainty. And I want you to hear Luke's heart as he's writing to this guy named Theophilus. That's who this book is addressed to. Look at verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. We don't know who Theophilus was. He was very likely a Roman officer because he addresses him as most excellent. He may have been someone that supported Luke and Paul financially, and he's just reporting to him since he gave money. We don't really know. There's tons of theories about who Theophilus is. He could have been an immature believer that Luke was burdened for. doesn't necessarily matter who he was. But the heart with which Luke speaks to him is, I've written these accounts and these words down for you to pay attention to them so that you'll walk away with certainty. Is that how you would characterize how you endure the seasons? With certainty. The Greek word for certainty here is the same word for security, hope, comfort. Is that how you walk through this season, this Christmas season? With security, with confidence, with comfort and hope? Is there a certainty to your faith? Or do you have that feeling that Hank and I had in the truck when people say, look, I can't believe something I don't see. Oh. Or is there this certainty to what you're believing? And the key to that is to remember the accounts that were ordered and true. And that is where Luke points Theophilus. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this account, three aspects of this account in verse 26 through 38. The first thing is, if you're needing a little roadmap to where we're going, the importance of the virgin birth. Secondly, we're going to look at Gabriel's declaration. What does this angel say about this child to be born? And then third, we're going to look at Mary's response to all of it. Now, verse 26 through 31. Look again there. The importance 
of the virgin birth. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. Okay, it's important to see here how Luke addresses Mary. He mentions twice before even giving us her name. Luke mentions this twice before even giving us her name that she's a virgin. That's very important. It's very important to Luke that Theophilus, that we understand that she was a virgin. And if that doesn't jump off the page at you, it would be like me telling you a story of an old college friend. Let me tell you about this old college friend I had that was a virgin. And she was a virgin. And this virgin that I, that I knew, uh, she, her name was Mary. See how weird that would be? You would be sitting there saying, the fact that she was a virgin is very important to the story. However odd that may feel and be, you would say, oh, that has some importance in the story here because you just mentioned it twice before you even gave me her name. Luke sees it as very important. Matthew identifies her as a virgin in his account. Mary identifies herself in verse 34. How will this be since I'm a virgin? Gabriel acknowledges it when he says nothing is impossible with God. Joseph assumed it when he said in Matthew's account, he resolved to divorce Mary when he found out she was going to be pregnant and they weren't married yet. He resolved to divorce her quietly, unwilling to put her to shame. Joseph assumed she was a virgin. Isaiah prophesied that she was a virgin. It's important to, to know this fact, and we're going to look at why in just a second, but it's undisputable. There's a certainty that we can have in this account that Mary was a virgin. And we're going to look at the importance in a minute. If you want to write this down or you can turn there, Isaiah 7, starting in verse 14. You can jot this down. I'll read it. Therefore the Lord himself, this is Isaiah speaking, will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah prophesied it long ago, and it's undisputable evidence that this promised child to be born was from God. We need to get those details down because they will give us certainty in our hope as we walk away from here today. Indisputable evidence that this promised child was to be born was from God. And here's why. Because Jesus would not take his origin from man. He would not take his origin from man. There was no need for an earthly father. You see his deity growing? He doesn't need man to unite with humanity. No need for an earthly father. The fact that Mary is a virgin also doesn't add to his holiness at all. And it doesn't add to hers. It doesn't add to his holiness or hers. It's just a means of our God who unites with us in flesh. And so Jesus doesn't stand in the line of Adam. Right? He, he's not under the fall of sin. 
Psalm 51, David said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Not so with this God-man. He was not conceived by man. He was not brought forth in iniquity. Not so. He will be a shepherd, ruler, and a king, and he is God. This baby will be born, and he will be a God-man. Our king did show up. He was here. God was here. I want to tell Hank's buddies, oh, he was here. He was here. He was visible. He was tangible. He was in flesh and did it just like he promised he would. And so that's my answer for my son's friends. He was here. And there's true historical certainty that he was here. He accomplished for me what I couldn't accomplish, and then he promised to come back again. Our God is united with us in flesh. He came to be with us in flesh. I think about Acts 16 when Paul is talking to the men in the city, and he says, our God doesn't need you. He doesn't need man. He did not come incarnate. He did not come on earth in gold and silver and wood like these other gods you're worshiping. He didn't present himself in gold. He didn't present himself in silver. He didn't present himself in wood and and this beautiful creation. The creator came. And he came to unite with us in flesh. And he was fully God. And he humbled himself to be with us in flesh. And I'm reminded of Philippians 1 or Philippians 2. Let's turn there. Read that, read that with me. We need to see that again. Philippians. Two, five through eight. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Our God came to us. We didn't have to go to him. He came to us, and he came to us in flesh. And listen, the virgin birth confirms that he was God. Do you see that? You see how important that is? The miracle of that conception confirms that he was God. I hope you're feeling some security, some certainty when you hear these words. Again, there's a certainty to what has transpired And there's a certainty to my faith because it was true. You see that? And I hope you feel that. Next, we're going to look briefly at Gabriel's declaration. Look at verse 32 of Luke chapter 1. What does Gabriel say? What does this angel say about this baby? Verse 32. This child, this promised child that would be born... He will be great 
and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. There will be no end. This Jesus is the Son of God, and it's confirmed by the virgin birth. What does it mean when he says the throne of David? Well, he prophesied in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel is, I mean, Samuel is, I mean, Nathan is confronting David about his failure. And this is what he says. There is a promise that a king will come that will never fail. David, you failed, but there's a king coming that will not fail, will not disappoint. And he won't have any iniquity. In fact, he will take away iniquity. And this king, his kingdom will, will last forever, unlike yours, David. He's actually going to come from your line. There's a promise. Right? And this king will come, and unlike you, David, he will never fail, never disappoint. And his kingdom won't end like yours is going to. There's your promise. Fulfilled here as Gabriel is promising that he's coming. Confirmed by the virgin birth. Here we go. He's coming. Right? Certainty. Just like he said in 2 Samuel. He will reign forever. There will be no end. There will be no destruction. No demise. Now listen to this carefully. His kingdom will only win. And I'm not saying that you always win, that our lives feel like they're always a win, but ultimately, his kingdom will always progress. It will always be built. He will continue to gather his people from all nations. He will continue to win. He will continue, even when it doesn't feel like it. And he promises that when he comes back, ultimately, everything will be fulfilled. He will come back again. He will make all things new. He will heal. He will take away all anxieties and tears, frustrations, difficulties. He'll heal sick. He'll restore all things to perfection. How do you know he'll do that? Because he did it when he was here before. You hear that? There's certainty to his next coming. Why? Because he did it when he was here before. He healed the sick. The blind could see. The lame walked. Dead people came to life. When he was here before, he restored and healed and resurrected. And he will do it again, ultimately and finally. And I can believe that with certainty because he did what he said he was going to do the first time. Right? Do you feel the certainty? Do you feel more certain about this? What we're reading, these stories and accounts, when you hear, when you know this happened before... There is a certainty. Even though what we live and what we see may feel mundane, it may feel irrelevant, it's going to happen again. His kingdom will not end. It will not be destroyed. It will not be hindered. 
it's going to happen. Doesn't always feel like this, though. When we are living out our faith, remembering these accounts and these stories, these confirming prophecies, maybe it just feels mundane. The waiting. Going to get up Monday and go back to work. Bump into the same people who don't believe in him. Going to try and get through the week to make it back to hear this again. Trying all the while to remind myself what is true and that he keeps his promises. And that even though we don't see him tangibly right now, I don't know, maybe you don't feel that way. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only one that at times feels irrelevant. Like, we're, we're the, when I bump in and talk to people about faith, I, I feel like we're the crazy ones coming in here and believing in something we can't see, right? That's how it feels. Because the world is continuing to search for something tangible. Their certainty comes in what they can see, and our certainty comes from something we cannot see, but we know to be true. Feels mundane. The waiting, the plotting, the having faith again, but he hasn't come. Is he really going to come? Is he really still at work? Is he really still building his kingdom? And of course, for us, if you've been around a church for any time, you see him at work in God's people. That's hard to convey to others. That's hard unless they're with us. And so the humiliating, the the deflating, the discouraging conversations that we may have about this faith with people who just go, still kind of upset at Scott Sutton for preaching on loving our enemies. So we're going to be the people again who turn the other cheek and we're the crazy people and he hadn't come back and is he going to and we're going to love our enemies, the people who hate us and hurt us. Man, that's a lot of fun. Tell you what, golly, it gets old if I'm being honest. Giving sacrificially, working hard, enduring trials, feeling irrelevant. Maybe in Hunt County, you know, we just, we're out here, we're not in a major city. You know, what are you doing out here, God? What, where are you? Remind us that you're still at work. Watching the wicked prosper all around us, that's probably the hardest one to swallow, right? Watching wicked people have it easy. Feeling a tad cheated out of life. Because no one on Facebook has problems, right? That must have been how Mary and Joseph felt, right? Bethlehem, a little bitty farming suburb of Jerusalem. Bethlehem, we're we're just going back to do a census again, and we're just doing life. Listen to Micah chapter 5, 1 through 6. And and as you feel the irrelevance and kind of the beatdown and the difficulty of enduring and waiting and being faithful in this season of him building his kingdom, listen to what Micah says. 
Now muster your troops. I like that talk. O daughter of troops, siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. That's Mary. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. Now listen. He shall stand and shepherd his flock. That's for us. He will stand and reign and shepherd us. And he does that through the church. He does that through the Spirit. He will do it in the strength of the Lord, not in our strength. In the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. They shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. He shall be their peace when nothing else is peaceful. And when the Assyrian comes into our land and treads on our palace, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances, and he shall deliver us from the Assyrian. And when he comes into our land and treads within our borders, when he comes, it's going to be over. And in the meantime, he is our peace, he is our security, he is our shepherd, he is our ruler, and he is our king. And he can be trusted I just like that. It feels, it feels a little bit like vindication, doesn't it? Just to know again that we're going to win. That he has already won. And that he's coming back. I was talking to Greg Fields about this passage and how, how it made me feel to identify with Mary and, and Joseph and Bethlehem and just kind of this blah, mundane feeling of what are we doing? And I need some certainty. I need some hope. I need to remember again of course, Greg's telling me, well, how do you feel about that? You know. <laughs> and I told him, I just had a sports illustration. That's what I had. And I'll explain it to Ben later. <laughs> a basketball game where, and if you've ever been in this situation where you're the underdog, you're not supposed to win, you may not have quite as much talent, but you're playing within the rules, you're doing the best you can, and the other team is bending the rules, cheating, arrogant, harsh, and just beating you down. There's no more frustrating feeling in sports than that. You're staying within the rules, doing the best you can, working hard, and then another team, arrogant, cheating, and bending the rules, is winning or feels like they're winning. And there's no better feeling than to be a part of a team like that and you end up winning in the end. I, I did this. That's how it made me feel. If there's a way to show how I feel, it's this. Yes! And that's how I want to walk out my faith. I want to be that. Knowing these accounts, knowing that God came 
He did what he said he was going to do. And Gabriel declares his kingdom will rule and reign forever. It will not be destroyed. It will not end. It can't be. And in the end, he will restore everything. I need that, right? I need one of these every once in a while. And I get that. Listen, I get that when I go back to this. This reminder here is when I read it again and I hear the promise again, that's where I find certainty is right here, being reminded that he is a God that does what he says he's going to do. He will do it again. Why? Because he did it before. I imagine Mary was feeling a bit of this, right? I don't want to steal Ben's thunder for the next few weeks, but look at her song. Look at her song in verse 46, the Magnificat. My soul, here's where I want us to rejoice. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. The mundane, beat down people of God who aren't winning. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and his Holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. What she says there is, it may not feel like you're winning. And he's not just doing this for me, but he has done this and he will continue to do this for generation after generation after generation. And he will be a king for generations and generations. He will show mercy to those that fear him. He doesn't show mercy to people just because they're winning. You don't earn it. He comes to the humble who fear him, and they win. You see that? So it's okay to say, this feels irrelevant. This feels hard. This feels difficult. I'm tired of being humbled. I'm tired of walking into conversations with this world and these people and looking like the crazy person. And that's who Jesus comes to and gives mercy. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. There's the fist pump. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. There's people who say to you, man, this faith thing and this Jesus thing and this Christian and the church thing, you're always going up there, you're brainwashed, you are crazy. That's the proud people who say, I don't need that. And what is he going to do? He's going to scatter them. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things, and watch this, and the rich he has sent away empty. All the people, all the wicked that you see prosper, all the people that you think don't have the problems and issues and uncertainties that you have, and they're looking to riches for certainty, right? And they're hanging on to tangible things and money for certainty, he's going to send them away with empty pockets. Certain. He's going to send them away with empty pockets. He has helped his servant Israel because he remembered his mercy. He said he would have mercy. He said he would come, and he did. So I, that's, that's, this song is Mary going, yes. Yes. He's doing it. 
And so now let's look at her response. First of all, she's, she's a little bit taken aback when this angel shows up. Verse 29, she was greatly troubled at the saying, tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Yeah, she's probably troubled that an angel showed up. We don't know how magnificent that entrance was. We don't have the details there. But someone came to her, Gabriel, saying they were speaking for God, and then they were assuming that she was favored. That is what blew her away. That's what troubled her. Someone is saying they're representing God, speaking to me, and when God says something, that's very important to Mary. Oh, you're speaking for God, and you're saying something about me, that he favors me? Whoa. Because Mary believes what God says. She believes in what he says, and if someone says they're speaking on his behalf, she listens. Whoa, I'm troubled. Hang on a minute. What are you saying? And then he tells her what's going to happen. And her only question is, how? Because I'm a virgin. And without a ton of specifics, with only one question answered, she believes in him. I am the servant of the Lord. I submit to what you say. If you say it, it's going to happen. I'm the servant of the Lord. If you say it, it's going to happen. There's a certainty. And in great contrast to how Zechariah has just responded to an angel who says, your wife's going to have a son, and Zechariah says, no way, I'm too old. We're too old. And what happened? The angel said, well, you're not going to be able to talk now until he comes because you didn't believe what I just said. Very different from how Mary responds. Look at verse 45, chapter 1, verse 45. Look what Elizabeth says. And blessed is she, Mary, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Words. Right? Words. God said it. She was certain about it. She believed it. Zechariah, what? It can't happen. And Gabriel says, nothing is impossible with God. And she believed it. Humble service to her king. That's the pathway to our rejoicing during this season. It's the pathway to our joy. Here it is. Not oversimplifying it. I just want you to hear it. The pathway to real joy and real rejoicing and real celebrating is to believe this. And hear it again and read it again and believe it again. And know that it's true and know that he's a God who keeps his promises. And he remembers you hadn't forgotten. Remember Mary? He, he remembers us in his mercy. She could have very easily said, well, he's forgotten us. I mean, he, nothing's happened in so many years. I know he said he was going to come as a baby, but whoa, here we go. Yeah, he said it, and now he's doing it. Certainty. This may sound really simple, but I think especially in this season this goes for all the time, but especially during this season of stress and anxiety and uncertainty and worry and busyness, I think the more this is open in our homes, the more peaceful and joyful we will be remembering His promises. The more this is open in our homes, it's a pathway to joy and peace because I'm hearing again the spoken word of God and I believe it. Like Mary. 
So what do we do with all this? How do we apply this? Is to remember that we're a people who are believing words and promises. We're a people believing words and promises. Constantly revisiting and remembering. That's the only way through the season. And you're not trying to get to it. Find your happiness in it. And you're not just trying to endure it. We go through this season remembering the promises. That he is a God who does what he says he's going to do. And he will do it again. Joy. Peace. Certainty. Security. Hope. Gabriel said it. We have a good shepherd ruler. Whose kingdom has already begun. And he's fulfilling it even now. We have a good shepherd ruler. Maybe we should stop trying to be the shepherd ruler. Maybe in everything trust him. Maybe trust him with your children more now this season. Trust him with your marriage. Trust him with your finances. Remember that he is attentive and ruling and reigning over everything. And he can be trusted. And third, keep preaching the good news until he comes back. Don't stop. Don't quit. We're going to be here next week. We're going to do it again. And in between, you keep preaching. You keep preaching it to yourself, to your children. Tell the stories to your neighbors and your friends. Even if you walk away deflated and humiliated, keep preaching. Keep saying it. His words and his promises on your tongue. Don't stop. Keep telling it. Keep preaching it. Know the stories and tell them to yourself, your family, and your neighbor. And remember that he is going to come again.